Hello and welcome to The Money Movement. We are filming here from Davos at the World Economic Forum in May of 2022. Um, very excited to have as a guest, Brett Harrison, the president of FTX US. Welcome, Brett. Yeah, thanks for having me to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had to come all the way to the mountains of Switzerland to do this. Yeah, that's right. New York or Chicago to Boston was way too uh, short. We had to get all the way out here to yeah. Davos to make but, it happen. But this is good. We're actually in a prison cell yeah. in, in a building. <laughs> Literally. No. Literally, yeah. yeah. No, we're not. It's great to have you here. You know, just because we're here, and I know this is your first time at the World Economic Forum, but like a lot of people are talking about like how much crypto is at Davos. There's like news articles and stuff about it. Like just what's your take on that? What do you, what's your observations around that? Just, just for people who I'm sure are really interested in that phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, so this is my first time here to WEF. And what's interesting to see is the juxtaposition between the actual programming at the forum in terms of the talks. And it, there's a lot, still a lot of skepticism here yeah. about crypto in general, you know, its impact on energy use and climate and, and, you know, whether it should be regulated, whether there should be CBDCs. Yeah. On the other side of that, you see on the promenade here, sort of the main street where different companies are sort of sponsoring these houses on, uh, on the front lines here. There's so much crypto here. I mean, yeah. everything, you know, Polkadot, Polygon, Tether, Filecoin, Circle. I mean, we're, there's so much crypto present here. And so it's yeah. sort of interesting to see those two things play off each other. Yeah, it is. It is. We got involved years ago, and it was really hard to actually get a crypto company to even be a member of, of the forum for a while. But it was really interesting this year. There was like a leading exchange from India, a leading exchange from Thailand, obviously FTX, and others, some blockchains and some DeFi protocols. And like, it's that's cool. So I think part of my view on that is kind of need to evolve the agenda from the inside, in a sense, is like the more members there are that are actually focused on this, the more that this is just going to get to be a bigger and bigger thing and not just on the promenade, but you know, in the, in the forum itself. Yeah, I mean, whether, with or without the crypto companies, the discussions about crypto, everyone yes. is talking about crypto. Yes. We just want to make sure that you know, we're present in the room for those discussions too, so that we can work with them and, yeah. and develop all this you know, new policy uh, responsibly. Yeah. So, I mean, there were a couple of sessions like the U.S. economic outlook or whatever, and all of a sudden, you know, Senator Toomey was out there talking about stablecoin policy yes. and the global economic outlook, which is like, what's going to happen to the whole economy? And all of a sudden, the managing director of the IMF was talking about stablecoins and, right. and crypto and stuff. So it is obviously really, really topical. Yeah, so it's an interesting backdrop and certainly interesting times for FTX and for, for you as well. I actually want to start with you a little bit. We met, I think, about a year ago, yeah. I think literally within the first couple of weeks of you starting at FTX. Yeah, that's right. And it's been quite a year. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more grays here than uh, a year ago. Yeah. It's been a crazy year. Yeah, it, it has been a crazy year. Let's talk for a moment, though, about life before FTX. Sure. So just for the viewers and listeners, just a little bit about yourself. And obviously, I know you, you had a, a history with Sam and, and kind of got brought in, but just take a minute on that and, and then I may have a follow-up. Sure. So I uh, was a computer scientist in college and uh, at some point knew I wanted to do some kind of programming and figured that at, at the time, it wasn't so obvious there was this huge array of jobs that were available to programmers, that as there are now, programmers in such high demand right now. 
And so I thought, okay, either I'll end up at a big tech company like Google, mm-hmm. or I'll, I'll stay and teach. Those are sort of what I thought the two options were. And then I had a lot of friends who were going into quantitative finance, you know, companies like you know, D.E. Shaw and, uh, and Jane Street. And, and so I had a you know, bunch of friends who were going to be interning at Jane Street. Yeah. And I said, you should you know, check this out too. And I knew nothing about the world of finance, absolutely nothing. But then I followed them to, to Jane Street. I interned there and uh, I just loved it. So I stayed there. Actually, I was first hired as a trader and then moved over to doing full-time development on things like the algorithmic trading systems and the low latency order entry gateways and market data handlers and these kinds of things. And, and then grew to sort of you know, manage teams of engineers building out large distributed systems. And it was while I was at Jane Street that I overlapped with Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, CEO, co-founder of FTX, yeah. for about four years. And we worked on a couple of projects together. Uh, we discovered we were both vegan and had shared interests in animal welfare. And so we you know, became friends. And then we you know, took our divergent paths in life for a little yeah. bit. He went to go found Alameda and FTX. I went to follow my wife to Chicago and start a family. And then more recently, I was at Citadel Securities yeah. for a year and a half. And towards the end of my time there, Sam said, you know, hey, you want to come over to FTX? And at the time, actually, I wasn't really following crypto too deeply. But I, you know, this was such an exciting opportunity to get into this world. And I said, yes, absolutely. When do I start? And then, yeah, so I started on, uh, on May 12th, 2021 was my first day at FTX. And so it's been a little over a year. Yeah, and it's been wild. So a big change from your prior kind of work into being the president of this, you know, high growth crypto exchange and company and broader, you know, kind of, kind of stuff, which is, absolutely. Which, which is pretty amazing. I actually want to drill into one, you know, kind of thing, which is I'm always interested in, you know, sort of how people understand the role of markets. And a, a lot of times when people think about like a crypto exchange or what is that, it's, it's just, it's generally like, oh, that's a place people go to like speculate on cryptocurrencies or whatever, which there's truth obviously in that. But like, sure, you know, you've worked, it sounds like obviously just from the prior work, like on the deeper aspects of the function of a market and like just maybe like philosophically, how, what do you think the role of markets are? Outside of crypto, just sure. broadly, what do you think the role of markets are? And then we can kind of bring that into, you know, kind of kind of crypto and how it kind of connects ultimately over time to the real economy. Right. So I'll start by saying, you know, one of the most common things people ask on Twitter uh, to an exchange is when list. Yeah. It's always when are you going to list this token, that token, my token. Right. And the question is, well, why does anyone care about listing a token on an exchange? And the reason why you need that is because you have to have a central place for price discovery and liquidity. In general, in capital markets, the reason why companies can raise funds to develop their products and services and hire employees Mm -hmm. is because there is a liquid capital market where they can issue equity or sometimes debt Mm -hmm. and then sort of receive that investment back Mm -hmm. and have a place where people can sort of have a transparent price discovery mechanism on the value of a company. This is just completely critical to capital markets. Mm -hmm. And so the role of an exchange is to provide this central, very organized, orderly place Mm -hmm. for that price discovery to happen. And from my background at Jane Street, where we were trading in 100 different markets around the world and also different asset classes, equities, futures, bonds, different kinds of derivatives, there's not a single you know, canonical way to set up a market. Every market has their own 
microstructure, their own rules, their ways of handling things like volatility halts and you know circuit breakers. And some of them have closing auctions and some of them have you know different hours of the day trading and different mm-hmm. order types. There's so much that goes into the design of an exchange. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the design of that exchange affects the ability for people to sort of efficiently express their opinion about an asset. And so yeah. that's why you know, there's competition among exchanges and why it's so important for us to exist is because we're trying to innovate on that important, very fundamental mechanism in the, you know, the token economy as a whole, which is to provide that central place for uh, people to come together and express those opinions. Yeah. That makes sense. And, you know, I think like the role of capital markets, again, sort of outside of crypto for the for the time being, the role of capital markets is to support real economic activity. Right. It's and and the price discovery is necessary because you need you need these markets such that, like you said, a business that is trying to grow or growth is obviously the biggest thing. Right. But or whatever, whatever that is, it's, uh, you know, uh, people who need to uh, trade wheat because it's important to commerce. Right. All these things is it's information. It's it's signaling of information that's needed for economic actors, et cetera. And not just on the growth side. I mean, it's not maybe not great for the company, but for the general public good, it's important to be able to express the downside as well. Yeah. I mean, if a company is not doing well, if right. there's something wrong with the company, right. if you find out a company is a fraud, you need a place where you can actually very transparently see the market express the opinion that that company may not be worth as much right. so that investors understand that and can make an informed opinion. Right. Otherwise, if everything is sort of closed and off market, right. you'll never be able to know what's, what's going right. on. Right. So obviously, like, you know, in TradFi markets, these markets are amazing. And but they're fairly, you know, you've probably heard the phrase the long tail, right? The long tail theory of of like you've got the head, the torso and the tail. And the head is like the biggest things out there. And the torso is sort of the fat middle. And then the tail is like super niche. Yeah. And, you know, you have that in a lot of markets. You have these long tails. But in traditional capital markets, the markets are mostly like the head and the torso at best, right? Like the things that trade on exchanges, for example, that have that liquidity and price discovery, like a small and medium enterprise can't really do that. They can't get on there. And so it's, it's sort of that whole mechanism of both capital formation and access and signaling and information sort of is only available to companies that are maybe bigger, right? They can get listed on the New York Stock Exchange sure. or listed on, on an exchange, and, uh, you know, similarly, there's a higher bar, right? There's these disclosures, you have these filings, they're extremely detailed. And so it's sort of, you know, higher kind of threshold there. But in crypto, it's a lot more open. And I think there's pluses and minuses to that. And I think when people, you know, react, sometimes crypto skeptics will say, well, there's 19,000 different cryptocurrencies, whatever that means. Right. And, you know, markets in TradFi, right, ha- play a, a gatekeeper role in a sense, in addition to regulators like the SEC, right? Securities regulators, you know, disclosures, risk, et cetera, counting standards, like what are, you know, everyone's playing by the same rule book, so to speak. Right. That doesn't really exist in crypto. There's not like a disclosure standards sure. at this point. And then obviously, like as a market, you know, you're making decisions about things um, just like a, a traditional market would. But what do you see as the fundamental differences between digital asset markets, crypto assets, et cetera, and, and TradFi, pluses and minuses, et cetera? Sure. So just backing up to sort of traditional equity markets for a second, to just talk through what that 
currently looks like. So I'm going to get the numbers not precise here, but there's something like 8,000 listed U.S. equities. And places like the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ Stock Exchange, uh, the SIBO Stock Exchanges, they have these listing standards where you, know, you have to meet you know, a certain market capitalization or you know, various other standards in order to be able to list on the exchange. And then if you suddenly don't meet those standards anymore, you could get delisted. Mm-hmm. And then there's a venue called OTC Markets yeah. uh, with a capital M. And this is a place where companies whose stock don't meet the listing standards of these you know, public ex- exchanges, but still want a venue for this sort of price discovery yeah. can list. So there's a couple examples like you know, Fannie Mae or uh, Nestle and Nintendo's ADRs. These trade on OTC markets. They don't meet the listing standards for NYSE or NASDAQ. And there's probably 10 to 20,000 more equities on there. So there's you know, tens of thousands of stocks of various sort of degree of listing standard quality out there for people to trade. And of course, as you get down the long tail, the requirements change. You know, you might have to be a certain member of the exchange in order to be able to, to tra- transact in these things. You need certain licenses to be able to offer those kinds of securities. And so the, the degree of disclosure, the degree of safety kind of goes up as you go down the tail. And I think that's the system that basically works. Mm-hmm. So in crypto, moving over to crypto now, there is no clear markets regulator for crypto exchanges in the US. Yeah. Um, we are regulated according to this 50-state you know, money transmitter, money service business regime under FinCEN, which is very important for the movement of money, the money movement, the movement, <laughs> the movement of money in and out of the exchange, but not so much for the functioning of the exchange itself, you know, you know, standards around how the order book should behave or anti-market manipulation, but also listing standards. And so without that, the exchanges like ours are left to create that standard ourselves. Yep. And so we have those standards they're very, very high in the U.S. We list something like 25 total tokens. We're way, way behind yeah. our competitors in terms of volume because we keep the standard very high. Mm-hmm. And also because we're, there's you know, securities laws issues concerns there. But you know, that aside, just we have those standards. But even on, on the international side as well, we also have a listing standard that, that's evolving and developing. You know, we have a couple hundred tokens on the foreign exchange, FTX.com a very small slice of the you know, 19,000 available tokens. And so there's sort of an interesting question there about the role that we play as sort of a gatekeeper. We don't want to be picking winners and losers of token projects, but we do want to make sure that there's a standard upheld so that yeah. we're not endorsing something we think has no future, yeah. as opposed to has some risk and volatility because there's lots of things with risk right. and volatility on traditional exchanges Different risk profiles. You think disclosure is most important. And thinly traded things also are more risky for market manipulation and, and absolutely. And all kinds I mean, of things. there are lots of thinly traded volatile ETFs on yeah. Arca. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, there's they meet a certain standard, a certain level of disclosure requirements. For our upcoming derivatives offering in the U.S., we've actually developed a, a listing standard that we published online as a draft that we're intending to use for all of the assets going forward. So we want to make sure people understand, you know, what, what's the supply of the token? Who are the people who could edit the code of mm-hmm. the, you know, the underlying protocol? Is it a governance token? Is it a protocol token? What, yeah. what, is it a GameFi token? What is it? Right. 
who are the people who invented it? Where is the supply? Is it majority with a particular single owner? And I think these things are going to help investors over time. So you're you're jumping out in front of these, in a sense, disclosure requirements, because you're effectively saying these are the things that need to be disclosed or, or that you're finding yourself. And quite but, frankly, you know, we, we've said to regulators, we need a listing standard. Yeah. And everyone's been saying that for years. We haven't gotten one. Right. So we've said, that's fine. We'll create our own. Yeah. And if a better one comes along, then we'll happily adapt. In the meantime, we want to come out ahead and say, we really care about these kinds of disclosures and consumer protection. So we're going to you know, take the lead on this and, and publish something. Yeah, which is great. I think another, just kind of pulling the thread here a little bit, like talk about like token classification a little bit, right? Sure. So I think not all tokens are created equal. <laughs> that's that's right. obvious, right? But we're dealing with a, a new asset class very clearly and you know a token that is involved in the functioning of a technology protocol that is involved in the functioning of a governance of a technology protocol that's just like a novel new thing you couldn't do that didn't exist never existed before etc but as you think about kind of the the broad buckets how do you think about those today yeah it's a good question so we again a lot of people try to compare tokens to traditional stocks right and sometimes that works. There's a lot of you know, companies out there, you know, particularly non-US companies, that they issue a token that's sort of like a proxy for mm-hmm. a share in their company. I mean, sometimes they even say, you know, we'll take the profits of the company and pay out you know, rewards to the token holders in proportion to our revenue. Well, that's like a dividend. It right. feels very much like yeah, a stock. Yeah, clearly. But then you have things like a governance token. So owning this token gives you a share of a vote Mm-hmm. for future changes to a protocol. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't really sound like an equity in right. a company You're not at all. generating income. No, There's no promise exactly. of future cash flows. Right. So you have things like, on one end of the spectrum, things that feel like investment contracts. Right. Where someone is sort of right. telling you that they hope that you will receive a future return on this token based on the success of some project, some company. Yeah. It's an investment contract. Right. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you have something like Bitcoin, yeah. which feels very much like gold. I know it's sort of a cliche to call it digital gold, yeah, but right. it very much digital is a, commodities. It's a digital commodity. It basically is something where the, the supply is completely known and fixed and capped. The distribution of it is completely known and fixed and capped. It otherwise you know, has no inherent utility except for people using it as a means of either transfer of value or yeah. store of value. Yeah. And then you have this gigantic gray area in the middle between these things. So things like similar to Bitcoin tokens that are um, rewards for people validating transactions in a network. So they sort of support the underlying protocol. You have governance tokens, you have utility tokens of various kinds uh, that are rewards for actions in some sort yeah. of protocol. You have Kind of like yield-bearing tokens that you know are are part of some sort of you know staking or DeFi protocol. Um, you have wrapped tokens, tokens that are purely exist as sort of a derivative on something else to be able to bridge between different blockchains and NFTs, which are you know you know single you know supply one tokens that could represent anything from art to music to a you know a climate um, carbon credit kind of everything in between, and so. There's not really a single answer and it's constantly evolving, but we're starting to see more of kind of like the, uh, you know, Standard & Poor's creates their, you know, sectors 
yeah. for different kinds of stocks, you yeah. know, industrials, uh, energy, you know, financials, technology. We're starting to see that similar classification happen in tokens. Yeah. Well, the, the we were on a panel, as you know, yesterday or whatever. <laughs> and the, the kind of con- question was like, how broad will tokenization go and, and how long tail do these markets get? And I think you were, I think, arguing there might be millions of options or, or right. whatever that, that are out there and, and so on. But as that kind of classification goes, how do you think, you know, market participants can deal with kind of the challenge of information and information asymmetry and just like navigating that? Like, sure. do you think that there are ways to leverage, you know, kind of models that we have in really large internet marketplaces that are for, you know, whether it be like the Amazon marketplace or eBay or, you know, YouTube or whatever sure. you think of as like a marketplace. How do we deal with that kind of scale problem? Obviously with FTX US 25 tokens, not sure. a big problem today, but assuming that there's a, a regulatory framework that allows the clear understanding of all these classified things and you can support it and, and grow it. How, how do you right. think about that from an yeah. end user perspective? So one sort of meta point about this is I think that we underestimate the retail investing class and we sort of assume that they can't figure it out and get the information they need. I mean, think about just security, just that particular word and how much that encompasses things from, you know, stocks to ADRs to ETFs to bonds to options to security futures. I mean, everything, all of these things are very different and yet Retail customers have learned to figure out, well, if I'm, if I'm going to buy an option, I need to understand, well, what's the underlying? What's the, you know, is it put or call? What's the strike? What's the expiration? Is it an American or European exercise? And people gain that knowledge through resources, yeah. you know, largely on the internet, yeah. and to be able to sort of, you know, educate themselves. And then you have people who invest in stocks because they heard someone else say they're going to invest in that stock, or they, because it's got, you know, the letter G in it. And like today, I feel really great about investing things with the letter G. <laughs> so I think you're always going to have people who are of a, you know, a wide range of, you know, self-education in the terms of investing. The best thing that we can do mm-hmm. as an exchange is provide as much material and disclosure as possible mm-hmm. and, and help people kind of navigate this. Because it's one thing to say, okay, this is a stock that you know, represents you know, a food delivery company. And that feels like pretty intuitive to people. Yeah. It's another thing to say, okay, well, this is a proof-of-stake validation reward token to yeah. validators. And yeah, okay, we're already lost you know, 99% right. of the populace. Right. So I think that we need to help create you know, better materials for education, which is something we're working on actually a lot. Yeah. That whole translation of, yeah, I mean, in some ways, right, the, the, these new sort of technologies and 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 their and their coordination of economic activity and so on. it's they're very new concepts right I'll, i mean the radically new concepts for for a lot of people and i think it's a bit of a labyrinth for for right. a lot of people who, who are new to it not just yeah. that but it's so i know you like to talk about how you know usdc is like the http of money mm-hmm. and when you think about http yeah People use it every day. Yeah. They've been using it for decades. Right. But most people don't they have know no what it is. Even, exists. even if they know yeah. they're supposed to type HTTP colon slash slash on their right. URL, right. That's still, a, it's yeah. just like training. I mean, people right. just know they have to do it. Right. Imagine now that HTTP was backed by a token. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you require people to have some actual understanding of like what the protocol mechanics are that produces this token's value. Yeah. It's kind of hard to think about. And it so is. you're sort of requiring people to 
yeah. really kind of delve behind computer science yeah. a bit to kind of yeah. understand some of this stuff, which is yeah. pretty wild. Definitely. One follow-up on the markets piece, which is when do you think that crypto markets kind of cross over into the sort of the real economy? And there's a bit of a like softball because it's sort of like, well, you crypto markets might actually start allowing people to trade stocks. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that because you already announced some stuff. But then, you know, beyond sort of bringing existing stocks in, you know, do you see an opportunity for this to kind of extend the capital markets beyond what traditional stock markets do today? Sure. So there's essentially a couple of ways to think about that question. One is, to what extent will tokenization kind of bleed back into traditional kinds of assets? So things like at some point, we'll probably see tokenization of stocks in the US. Yeah. Already FTX.com has tokenization of stocks, right. which is pretty amazing. I mean, it's yeah. basically completely instant settlement, 24-7 yeah. stock trading yeah. of US securities. Mm-hmm. So that might be one. And I think we will see the tokenization of assets over time. Now, I think we need more sort of support and cooperation with regulators in the yeah. U.S. to bring that to life. And but some, some standards for how that will really work across venue and all that. But, you know, you know, not just to, you know, to, yeah. to pander to circle, but like I think we're already seeing that a lot with, with mm-hmm. you know, the digitization of money yes. where, you know, exchanges are supporting the efficient conversion of, you know, fiat into stable coins and stable coins becoming not just a means of participating in DeFi, yeah. but a way for paying people for private equity. You know, a lot of private equity deals that FTX Ventures do, yeah. we say, we really hope they accept USDC. Yeah. It's so much easier to send 10 million USDC than it is in USD. So yeah. that, in that sense, already bled over. So that might be one thing you're talking about. The other might be, how does the technology that underpins crypto exchanges help affect traditional market structure? And that's something we think about a lot because, for example, in our in our big application in front of the CFTC right now for our derivatives exchange, where we're looking to propose something pretty novel, which is the combination of real-time, 24-7, direct-to-customer margin on derivatives. That is something that... Which you already technically do. Yes, we do that in FTX.com, looking to bring that model into the U.S. CFTC regulatory envelope. That is an example of something that is not itself crypto. Yeah. There's nothing really crypto about it. We're right. a centralized exchange. It's like right. you know, a database right. and an algorithm inside of you know, an exchange. But that is very much inspired by crypto yeah. being a 24-7, all, yeah. always online, real-time settlement. And you can consolidate the you know, custody, settlement, matching, everything all in a set of, single set of software. Right. We don't need a, a network of you know, 10 intermediaries to be able right. to affect those transactions. And right. so that's where we see kind of things pulling over to the yeah. traditional side. Yeah, I mean, we, we see that even with USDC, the, like the venture investing example, like Circle Ventures, we, we invest in USDC, of course. But like, clearly, like even really large firms that trade, you know, huge volumes of securities bilaterally or equity swaps or other things, right? Just like settlement in banking is not continuous 24-7, 365. You're taking various types of collateral risk. You're taking all kinds of risk. And so, you know, something like USDC can, could cross over there. But yeah, I mean, I've long been interested in, in this idea that ultimately smaller and smaller businesses would be able to efficiently access various forms of debt and equity like capital market structures that were convened through digital, through blockchains and where, you know, just like 
all these long tail markets, whether it's, you know, content or commerce or transportation or whatever that we see on the internet, like the internet's really good at solving information asymmetry problems. And it's, you know, why is it that I trust that this seller on this marketplace is going to actually has that the product's real, right. that it's, you know, what they say it is, and then I'm going to receive it, right? There's, there've been these risk and reputation and other things that have happened. And so I have to believe that that can work for a new kind of global capital market, absolutely, which works at scale, even for I'm a small landowner in a country that needs capital to do something in a way to have a tokenized representation of future value that can become, you know, bundled into something that then someone somewhere else is is thematically investing in a sense into that and that can all be settled right. seamlessly with stable coins and everything I mean, else. in my past life, we dealt with something called free of payment risk, mm-hmm. where let's say you are doing, you know, arbitrage between the US and Brazil. Mm-hmm. You have to go through sort of a local Brazilian payments provider. Right. And there's this sort of moment between sort of the mismatch of settlement times where you have, you know, put up money for, exactly, you put up money for something and then you're waiting for that thing to be delivered back Mm -hmm. and then crossing your fingers. And what happens if that bank goes under in the intervening two or three days? So that's the risk you're taking on. The idea of just completely removing that risk from the market through instant settlement, I think is extremely powerful. Yeah, yeah. We're also advocates of full reserve banking and and sort of sound money theory of fiat. And it's a whole nother discussion <laughs> that I need to get into. But I think for settlement, right, at the end of the day, if it's like you know what this is and what this collateral is, it's not somebody else's debt obligation. It's actually the sound money. But another discussion. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. I guess um, let's just maybe pivot a little bit to the novelty of not only how FTX, what, how FTX has built things, but sort of how you're bringing that to Washington. And I, and I know the whole FTX team is, is involved in, in that and you know, putting forward a lot of ideas about new market structures and new proposals on, on how to supervise this. And it seems like we're like right on the cusp of potentially some groundbreaking ways to think about supervision in these markets. What are like the high-level goals of that? And I know there's, there's legislation that's out in front on this, and then obviously the specific application that you guys have in. Sure. Yeah. So we we definitely have a lot going on in Washington right now, which is it's, it's been really exciting to be really front and center for a lot of the the interests and and movement in digital asset regulation and policy making right now. I say as an aside, one sort of fun thing about all of this is that we've had such enormous success as a company by just showing up in person yeah. with us, the stakeholders yeah. of this company. And you'd be surprised how many meetings we've just been able to take by sending an email mm-hmm. uh, to someone, you know, fairly high ranking and saying, hey, like, do you want to learn about digital assets? We're going to be in town. We'll answer any question you like. We have no agenda. And everyone takes those meetings. Yeah. And we've had really great conversations. Nice. And yeah. it's been, it's just incredible. It's always been our philosophy, like walking through the front door yeah. and just be there to educate. And it's like, it's not that hard. Yeah. Like, no one, yeah. yeah. I had asked Mark Weijin after one particularly exciting meeting we had, how on earth did we get this meeting? Like, who did you have to go through? And he was like, I just emailed him. Yeah. <laughs> so right. it's like, oh, his Gmail account? Like, what do you mean you emailed him? So, yeah. so we have a couple of things going on right now. So the biggest and most exciting thing for us is, so last October, we acquired a company called LedgerX, 
which is a CFTC regulated derivatives exchange and clearinghouse. However, as a clearinghouse, they were required to fully collateralize all positions. And that's because they were doing something pretty novel, which is, well, not totally novel. There's other clearinghouses that do this, but something pretty interesting, which is going direct to the customer. So the idea is that they could onboard a customer directly onto the clearinghouse and exchange without going through an intermediary broker or futures commission merchant, an FCM, right. which is how many of the traditional clearinghouses work. And however, overseas, all of the other crypto exchanges where more than 97% of all you know, uh, crypto derivatives volume is trading happens on these exchanges where not only do they take the customers directly, but they offer margin. Mm -hmm. And derivatives are only really an interesting product to trade and a very important product to trade if you get the capital efficiency of not having to put up the full mm -hmm. value of the position ahead of time. Mm -hmm. However, for volatile markets like cryptocurrencies, mm -hmm. it's really important to be able to manage the risk efficiently and to do it 24-7. Mm -hmm. Most traditional clearinghouses do margin calculation once per day, five days a week, and not on weekends or holidays. Mm -hmm. Which means if you put on some very large position on Friday at 3 p.m., mm -hmm. and then you know a war breaks out on Saturday, all of a sudden by Monday or Tuesday, your position has moved three days worth of very high vol. And so people get liquidated, they're blown out, huge price dislocations. On FTX, we do margin calculation every 30 seconds, 24-7. Mm -hmm. And that this is the current world we live in on the internet. I mean, this is how it, what, right. what's inspired it. So we have this very important application. Just a better CFTC. Absolutely. And that's what we strongly believe. This is a clearly yeah, better functioning, yeah. risk-reducing market. So we have this application in front of the CFTC right now to be able to run that system in the U.S. We have an 800-page application where we describe all the math behind the margin model and all the mechanics of the exchange. And it, we've been making very good progress on that with the staff. There has been a public comment period on that. There's a, a roundtable happening literally today at the CFTC with academics and industry participants about the, the merits of disintermediated clearing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one very exciting thing for us. The second is, in general, we're trying to push for, as you guys are, responsible stablecoin legislation. Yeah. And so we've been responsible in helping comment on a couple members of, of Congress's uh, you know, potential bills for just common sense, small, targeted legislation for yep. stablecoins. And then the third is we would really like to push for there to be comprehensive regulation of spot crypto exchanges in the US, which mm -hmm. currently don't have a good home right. among any of our regulators. And so we have a couple you know, simultaneous paths there with the CFTC, uh, with the SEC, uh, we have a strategic partnership with IEX, yeah. uh, the Form 1 Securities Exchange, and working with them to try to figure out how to create a digital asset securities uh, market regulation structure that would you know, pass muster with the SEC and allow us to potentially bring digitized securities to market in the U.S. So there's a lot of stuff that we have going on right now there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all move at different paces. Um, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. I want to come back to uh, uh, maybe closer to where we started, which was your own journey into the space. And, you know, so you joined FTX. It sounds like, like we just talked about, you've been really busy working on a lot of things and obviously like building product and hiring people and going to Davos and <laughs> <laughs> doing podcasts, uh, yep. all in the job description, so to speak. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in your own, like, technical explorations a little bit. Like, are there kind of innovations that you're seeing in the space 
where you're really excited, whether it's fundamental blockchain infrastructure or kind of protocol level, higher level protocol, app level protocol innovations? Are there there things that you're really excited about that you never thought of before until you got in the space and and, and now it's sort of opened, uh, opened your eyes up? Yeah, sure. There's a bunch of different things that come to mind. One thing that I'll mention is, so the question of how we're going to make blockchain scale for yeah. real world high throughput applications yeah. is very interesting to me. Yeah. We've, as a company, talk a lot about alternative layer ones like Solana, sure. which you know have very high throughput capabilities, very low transaction costs. And so I, you know, personally like read a lot about, you know, the the new layer ones, yep. and there's a, you know more that come out every week it's at this a lot point. Of work, yeah. And you know I don't think they're all going to exist in ten years. It'll be interesting to see right. kind of what the market picks as the winners there. And then there's these layer two solutions where people really want to stick with Ethereum, for example, but they want to figure out how to you know roll up and compress transactions yep. uh, into you know chunks that allow for yep. again higher throughput, lower costs, and. One of the most interesting things for me is that, so as a, as a student in college, I studied a lot of cryptography, mm-hmm. and we talked a lot about zero-knowledge proofs. Yeah. And at the time, it was very much about theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, the classic example was, you know, you have a group of teachers who want to figure out if, you know, you're being underpaid or overpaid relative to the average right. without ever revealing any... Right. A really privacy focused yes. yes. uh, kind of application. Exactly. Without revealing yeah. any like information theoretic, you know, ideas about your own salary. And so like the, you know, the zero knowledge proof of the yeah. the average was created. And to see that fast forward or you know about a decade being used to create these sort of zero knowledge right. roll-ups right. of transactions is pretty amazing to right. see kind of right. theory to practice. Right. Yeah, in such a short like, period of time. It's, like a, it's being applied as almost like a compute layer, as, right. a, as a way to support a kind of compute layer. Yeah. And so to see the innovations in sort of consensus mechanisms go from to, to things like kind of probabilistic consensus, like mm-hmm. being 99.99% sure that there's no fraud in the system, or things like very specific low latency hacks on EVM evaluation to make sure that, you know, to, to try to improve upon EVM calculation mm-hmm. without actually changing the underlying model. That's also very interesting to me. So just kind of following the space of blockchain development has been one of the most interesting technological things for me. And again, to see global consensus actually sort of deploy in the real world. Yeah. I mean, within, you know, companies I used to work for in the past, we used to try to do some kind of like Consensus between maybe different replicas of some state machine. That, yeah, you know, right, right. Very Classic different kind of distributed computing. Very of, different yeah, from yeah. a you know 100 million person oh you know yeah. uh, distributed That's securing system. like hundreds of billions of dollars that of can never go down. Yeah. Twenty four yeah. seven. Yeah. yeah, pretty. Amazing. I don't think people really realize how marvelous. No, of, yes. of, of creations these are. Yeah, I mean, it's just. They don't. Yeah, there's a lot of people say, like, I don't get it. Like, you know, it's just like a database. I'm like, well, uh, it's a little bit more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. That's cool. What about, um, what about like higher level, again, I called it application layer. Yeah. So what's interesting now is to see, I think in the beginning of sort of DeFi, mm-hmm. application development required a lot of specialized knowledge. Mm-hmm. And they were very low level, close to the protocol. Mm-hmm. Things like creating... You know, again, like yield-bearing tokens yeah. and, and sort of uh, you know, yield vaults and things yeah. like this. And now we're sort of seeing the next wave where mm-hmm. it's abstracted away. You know, I, one, of, one of the examples I sort of like to smile about right now are these like walk-to-earn 
move to earn apps where it's like, what they've done is they've completely wrapped up all of the intricacies of the, the actual like NFT creation, yeah. the blockchain asset movement into something that's sort of like fun and engaging. Yeah. And that's starting to look more like an iPhone app. I mean, yeah. it is an iPhone app, but yeah, it's yeah. more of that style of programming. Yeah. And so I think when we get to this next layer of kind of high-level app development, yeah. that's when I think we're going to hit that, you know, Cambrian explosion right. of innovation here. And, and then there's like another meta level on top of that, which is, you know, people are starting to think about how do I create the app store equivalent yes. for DeFi and be yeah, able to yeah. like have people discover what apps and protocols yeah. are out there and easily move between them. And Totally, yeah. I, I have a theory and just an idea that like, I actually believe there's going to be like a crypto super app, which is, but no one's invented it yet. It, yeah. I don't think it exists. It's not like MetaMask. It's it's not like Coinbase Wallet. It's like, it doesn't exist yet. Right. And it's going to solve for the paradigm of interacting with all of this infrastructure. And, and it will probably weave together apps that are in messaging and content and communications and finance and payments and tickets and this, like, it's actually going to connect these things, be user controlled, but also not dangerous to the user. Absolutely. And like that, that'll, that I, I think that'll come to being someone who's going to create that. Yeah. They probably haven't even started coding it yet because there's still enough primitives yes. that aren't quite there, but that's going to happen and that'll get to like a yeah. billion users. And I think that'll happen in the next several years. I agree. Most I, likely. I know of a couple of things which, you know, might have the potential to yeah. get there, but you know, for, from our side, it's, what FTX is trying to do is not, I think, not build the the DeFi super app, yeah. but to build the financial super app. Yeah. And that's why, you know, yes, we're a crypto company, but we, we launched our vanilla stocks offering. Yeah. We, have, we have NFTs, we're doing derivatives, futures, options, and, you know, eventually we'll have some kind of maybe savings type yeah. thing. And yeah. to be able to bundle all that together into one app is really important sense, because yeah. people don't want to have to move between wallets and protocols. And right. it's just too much of a higher barrier to entry that way. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally buy that. Very cool. This has been a great conversation. And uh, it's amazing to see not only what FTX is achieving, but what you're doing and, and all the progress you're making as a leader in the industry as well. Thank so you. It's been awesome to, to watch that. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Thanks, Brett. <laughs>